I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here and this season takes it to a whole new level old school legends modern power players and ex-lovers are all competing in cape town south africa for the prize of three hundred thousand dollars and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast listen to mtv's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from linkedin news i'm jesse hempel host of the hello monday podcast in my 20s i knew what career success looked like in midlife it's not that simple work is changing we are changing and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it start your week with the hello monday podcast listen to hello monday on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. What an incredible weekend of NFL playoff games. I watched all four of the games. I know a huge percentage of you listening to me right now watched all or some of the four playoff games, three of which effectively came down to pretty much the final play of the game. This is what the three final plays, final scoring plays of four of the games sounded like. Three of the four came down to basically the very end. Uh, I don't know what order we have them in. Uh, does it matter, Danny G, what order we play them in? We'll play them in the order they happened. All right, so we start with, let me just start here then. Uh, there are so many different uh, little storylines to talk about in a variety of different games, but we'll play them in order. We had uh, three straight games, effectively, that came down to the very last play, beginning with overtime to Sean Watson Probably the play of wildcard weekend gets simultaneously popped on two different sides by Buffalo Bills players. Bills fans making noise down in Houston. They haven't won a playoff game in Buffalo since 1995. They were achingly close, up 16-0 as they started to fade. It's overtime. They need a play. 
And unfortunately for them, Deshaun Watson was the one, as he said, somebody had to be great. Why not me? What an incredible quote that was. This is what it sounded like as the Texans got the win in advance to play against the Kansas City Chiefs. Here's Fairbairn for the win. 28 yards, right hash mark. The snap is down. Fairbairn's kick is up. And it's good! And the Texans go to the divisional round in dramatic fashion, beating the Bills in overtime. 22-19. to A sensational victory for the Texans. Uh, Deshaun Watson puts the Texans on his back and carries them to a victory. He is now carrying them all the way to Kansas City, where they are a double-digit underdog. A lot of faith and belief in Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs to keep this game from being very close at all. Up next, how about the game I told you to bet on? I said tap the vein. I said get rich, kids. I told you it was my blood bank guarantee. We're going to talk a lot about this game, I know. The Titans go on the road in Foxborough where seasons go to die and refuse to lose. They're up 14-13 to 13 with about 15 seconds to play. Brady drops back to pass, and this is what it sounded like. Brady in the end zone, takes the snap, looks, fires, pass, batted up in the air, intercepted, and returned for a touchdown, Titans, Logan Ryan, with nine seconds to go. That play, by the way, won me the crown on lock it in. Uh, not, not just that the Titans won and covered, which I told you they were going to do, but at that interception hit the over for the team total for the Tennessee Titans, drove everybody crazy. Cousin Sal, Rachel Bonetta, Todd Furman, they lost their minds. Not only did my team go on the road and potentially end the greatest dynasty of our lives in New England, like I told you they would, but the team total also hit near the very end. The smart play, by the way, would have been for Logan Ryan to take a knee and not score uh, because then the Titans could have just taken a knee and there would have been no risk at all from the kickoff or anything else. But that was phenomenal. If you are a Tennessee Titan fan, the biggest win for the Titans in 20 years since the Super Bowl run way back in 1999. Uh, Here is uh, finally Kirk Cousins. I think Kirk Cousins is probably the most criticized quarterback in the entirety of the NFL uh, who has had a decent amount of regular season success but has never been able to win a postseason game. Finally, Kirk Cousins overtime on the road against the Saints. By the way, Saints have lost three straight playoff games on the final play of the game. They lost on the craziness the zaniness, the wackiness that was the Minneapolis miracle. They lost in an improbable fashion after a blown call in overtime against the Rams to cost themselves a Super Bowl bid. And as if that were not enough, this is what it sounded like when Kirk Cousins dropped back to pass on third down and looked for Kyle Rudolph in the corner of the end zone. Third and goal from the four. Kirk takes the snap. Looks right, fade left, end zone, and it is caught! Touchdown! Bonjour, San Francisco, and au revoir, New Orleans Saints! The Minnesota Vikings have beaten the New Orleans Saints 26-20 in overtime. 
And this game indeed was a San Francisco treat. Uh, that's a heck of a call there. Again, uh, that was in order. The Texas Radio Network, the Titans Radio Network, and the Minnesota Viking Radio Network. We also have a great post-game reaction from Kirk Cousins, who let it all out in the locker room. If you didn't hear this, this is fantastic. Kirk Cousins in the locker room talking about the big win as the Vikings get ready for San Francisco. Here's what he had to say. That's how we've won all year, team, right? Fuck, you held them to 20 points, man. Yes, sir. You gave us a chance at the end. I got three words for you. You like that? The entire locker room comes undone as Kirk Cousins screamed what has become his signature, uh, you like that part too. And uh, so there we have it. Now also, I didn't have any audio from that game, but there wasn't a lot of drama. The biggest play in the Seahawks win over the Eagles, frankly, was the dirty hit. And I thought it was a dirty hit from Jadavion Clowney that knocked out uh, Carson Wentz from the game and probably, maybe, possibly swung the outcome of that game. Uh, so much to unpack, so much to discuss from four different games. We are now set for the divisional round of the playoffs. Two more games on Saturday, two more games on Sunday. I actually think this is probably the best weekend in general of the NFL season because you have four different playoff games and a lot of times, frankly, the AFC and the NFC playoff games, both of them don't usually end up being good games. A lot of times there's one team that runs away with it. Uh, and so these four, you got two on Saturday, you got two on Sunday. Uh, so close to the Super Bowl now. Teams can kind of taste it. There's only eight teams remaining. I think we got a lot of interesting games coming up this weekend. We will have a lot of time to talk about those games but we have to unpack everything that took place. And uh, I want to begin with what I think was the most significant game in terms of history and where we are headed from here. And that was the Titans going on the road and beating the New England Patriots. Now, the Patriots started off this season 8-0. They looked like defensively one of the greatest teams that we had ever seen but down the stretch, they stumbled. And I understand a lot of you out there expected, oh, it's the Patriots. They will flip the switch and they'll play great once they get to the postseason. We certainly had evidence of that being the case last year. Last year, the Patriots went 11-5, and finished second. A lot of people were picking the uh, Chargers to upset them in the divisional round. A lot of people picked the Chiefs to beat them. A lot of people picked the Rams to beat them. The Patriots swept through all their foes and got that sixth Super Bowl for Tom Brady. But I told you that I did not believe that this year's Patriots team had that ability to flip the switch. I think this game really was decided late in the first half when the Patriots were up 10-7. to They had done what they usually do and had a lot of success early in this game up 10-7, to seven, they had a first and goal at the one-yard line. First and goal at the one. If the Patriots score there, they go up 17-7, to seven, take a double-digit lead, put some pressure on the Tennessee Titans. Instead, the Titans bow up, hold the Patriots with a great goal line stand to a field goal, make it 13-7, to seven, and then on the final drive of the, uh, of the first half, 
Derrick Henry goes for 75 yards all by himself, 22 through the air, 53. I had a tough time with math there. I believe it's 22 through the air on a screen pass, 53 uh, through the ground. Scores, the Titans take the lead 14 to 13 and never relinquish it. Uh, I think you have to give a ton of credit to Mike Vrabel for being able to get his team ready to go on the road against the team that he was part of the dynasty himself and beat Bill Belichick in Foxborough, something that frankly just doesn't happen very often. What Derrick Henry did, taking over the game, physically dominating through the rushing attack, as good as Derrick Henry was, when you look at some of these numbers, they are unbelievable to break down because there was almost no offense outside of Derrick Henry. In particular, I looked at this stat and I couldn't believe it. As good as Ryan Tannehill was down the stretch, how about the fact that he threw for just 72 yards? All right. He also threw a bad interception in the fourth quarter. He fumbled twice, including on a read option play late that led to a punt. Brilliant run of the clock by Mike Vrabel. Uh, But the leading receiver for the Tennessee Titans was a guy most of you have never even heard of before by the name of Anthony Ferkser. How many catches did he have? Two for 23 yards. The tight end, including a touchdown and a big third and eight conversion that's the biggest throw of Ryan Tannehill's career. Uh, And... As if that weren't wild enough, how many receptions and yards did Tennessee Titan receivers have on the road against the Patriots? How about two wide receiver receptions for 10 total yards? I'm not necessarily surprised, as I told you, that the Titans won. I said, and some people thought I was crazy for saying it, that top to bottom, I like the Titans roster better than I like the Patriots roster. I still believe that's true, but I didn't expect for the Titan defense to have as much success shutting down the Patriots as they did. Now, if you're a Patriots fan, the question that immediately arises is, what happens now? Does Tom Brady come back? He's an unrestricted free agent. Does he go elsewhere? Does he take a job in maybe L.A.? Do the Chargers let Phillip Rivers go and sign Tom Brady? Are they desperate for attention? Do they need to sell tickets? Do they want to replace one old gunslinging quarterback with another one who arguably is even closer to retirement? That seems a bit of a strange move. Who knows? Is there interest in Dallas in Tom Brady? Seems crazy to me. But who knows? There is a lot of drama coming this offseason in the NFL. A lot of different moving parts. But Tom Brady and Bill Belichick is going to be the number one story. Are they done? Will they try to come back and go for another title? Will that be the final pass that we ever see Tom Brady throw in Foxborough? A pick six by Logan Ryan and the Tennessee Titans to end the Patriot dynasty. For the Titans, do they have enough juice to head on the road and give Lamar Jackson and company 
a challenge in Baltimore or was this their Super Bowl beating the Patriots? Will they be able to get as fired up and as ready as we enter the final eight of the NFL season? That is a phenomenal question. What about Kirk Cousins and the Minnesota Vikings? Now that Cousins has finally got a win, his first ever as a starting quarterback in the NFL in the playoffs, what in the world is going to happen now with him going on the road against the San Francisco 49ers? Remember, Jimmy Garoppolo has never started a playoff game either. How much nerves could there be for Jimmy G with Kirk Cousins coming into town? Could the Vikings get hot now? How about the Texans? No real pressure now on the Texans. Deshaun Watson gets that first win after being oh so close to looking like he was going to start off 0-2 with home playoff games. Bill O'Brien and Deshaun Watson were going to come in for an inordinate amount of criticism. Instead, they come surging back as Deshaun Watson said, somebody had to be great. Why not me? All of that. Now, off of their shoulders because they are a 10-point underdog on the road against Kansas City. Does anybody at all anticipate that they could go on the road and get that win? How about Russell Wilson? Big win again in the playoffs. Now he goes on the road with his team and DK Metcalf who went off on the road against the Packers, who no one seems to really respect. Aaron Rodgers against Russell Wilson. That's a heck of a game to be able to enjoy. And as if that were not enough, Ryan Tannehill given up for dead in his career after what happened in Miami. He is two wins away from going back to Miami as a member of the Tennessee Titans to play in the stadium of the Miami Dolphins after they jettisoned him and said, you aren't good enough for us. Does Tannehill now, with his first ever playoff win under his uh, repertoire, now feel zero pressure going on the road against the Baltimore Ravens? I think that's likely true. Meanwhile, the Ravens and Lamar Jackson and John Harbaugh, they have not played a game that matters in three weeks. The pressure gets ratcheted up. Can the Titans take that physical style of football and take the game into the mud against the Ravens on Saturday night? So many incredible and improbable storylines as we get ready for the divisional round of the playoffs. I flat out cannot wait for all of this. And I'm still walking on air over the Titans' biggest win in 20 years. You guys know I'm a Tennessee Titans fan, but what I have to say is there was nothing fluky about it. Sometimes you win a playoff game and you go back and you look at it and you say there was no business in that happening. They blocked a kick. They picked off an intercepted, uh, picked off a pass and returned it for a touchdown. The great thing about the NFL postseason is truly anything can happen but in that game between the Titans and the Patriots, there was nothing particularly fluky about it. The Titans were, as I told you, just the better team. They're now 8-3 and three since Ryan Tannehill took over as a starter. Tannehill wasn't even very good. Two fumbles, was lucky to recover both, also threw a bad interception in the fourth quarter. Titans still found a way 
to win that football game. They held the uh, they held the Patriots scoreless for the second half entirely in the final two minutes and change of the first half. And in the process, I think they ended the Belichick and Brady dynasty. But we're going to have a couple of months now to figure out. Big questions. Do the Patriots want Brady back? Does Belichick want Brady back? Oh, so many great storylines. What's going to happen in the next four games? I'll bring in the crew when we come back. Revel. Enjoy. If you are a Saints fan, what a crushing, utterly crushing defeat for a third straight year. If you are a Bills fan, what a crushing defeat for a long, long time since all the way back to 95. You had that game. You were so close. What in the world was Josh Allen thinking with the decisions that he made down the stretch? What was Sean McDermott thinking? What in the world were they doing in nearly losing that game uh, in the regulation before finding a way in? And then what in the world is going on with officiating as so many of these games are so, so incredibly close a couple of judgment calls can very often make the difference between your team advancing or not. And man, if you are an Eagles fan, how in the world we had a lot of discussion about the hit on Trevor Lawrence and whether or not it should have been targeting, but how in the world can the NFL allow a hit like Jadavion Clowney's on Carson Wentz to happen? It was dirty. It was late. It was helmet to helmet. It was totally unnecessary and not even throw a flag on it and not have any penalty at all happen during the course of the game. We talk so much about trying to protect quarterbacks. If they get hit after they release the ball in the pocket, so often we see a flag. But on the dirtiest hit of the weekend on a quarterback, we see nothing at all. Oh, unbelievable situation there to see no call. This is Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. 
I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Monday morning, if you're interested what the numbers look like as we come into the next four NFL playoff games, the first game is going to be on Saturday. Vikings on the road against the 49ers. The 49ers are a six and a half point favorite in that game. The evening game on Saturday, Titans on the road against the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens an eight point favorite. These are numbers the latest according to Fox Bet. Uh, Houston Texans come Sunday morning, uh, Sunday afternoon on the road against the Kansas City Chiefs. The, te- the Chiefs are out to a 10-point favorite in that one. Pretty big, uh, pretty big favorite there, the biggest of the divisional round weekend. And then the final game will be the Seahawks on the road against the Green Bay Packers. The Packers are a four-point favorite. A big topic that is going to continue to, uh, to, uh, to be much discussed what is going to happen with the Patriots? Tom Brady was asked about his decision-making as he comes into free agency right after the loss to the Titans. He said this. I just don't know what's going to happen, and you know, I'm not going to predict it, and uh, no one needs to make choices at this point. You know, I love playing football. I love playing for this team. I love playing for this team for two decades and, and winning a lot of games. Again, I just I don't know what it looks like moving forward, so we'll just take it day by day. Expectation uh, is that Brady is not going to retire based on what everybody is saying. And Patriots owner Robert Kraft said to Peter King, anyone who's done that, meaning had the success that Brady has had, has earned the right to control his future after 20 years. And, you know, my hope and prayer is number one, he plays for the Patriots or number two, 
he retires. So it sounds like Robert Kraft is saying that he's not going to allow Tom Brady to leave, at least he would hope, but Brady's an unrestricted free agent. So does Brady want to play for the Patriots? Welcome to a storyline that will not die anytime soon. We bring in the crew. Your biggest, let me get quickly, your biggest takeaway from Wild Card Weekend was what, Danny G? Oh, man. Single biggest. Well, I guess overall, looking at the big picture, this is why we love the NFL so much because even if your team sucked this past season and didn't make the postseason, it feels like they have a shot next year because a crazy stat, only one of last year's final eight teams made it to the final eight last year. That was the Chiefs. We have all fresh blood. Yeah, that's pretty wild to think about. And that's one of the great that that is what distinguishes, I think, the NFL very often from every other sport. I mean, is that right? Seven of the eight teams that have advanced were not there last year. I mean, the Chiefs were clearly there and lost in the AFC championship game. I, you know, Kirk Cousins has never won a uh, playoff game. Uh, We've never had a playoff game won by Deshaun Watson. We have never had a playoff game won by Ryan Tannehill. Um, and uh, did the Seahawks, they lost in the wild card to the Cowboys last year, right? Correct. So they didn't advance. Um, and uh, and the teams that got the bye, uh, the 49ers weren't in the playoffs last year. Yep. Thanks Ravens. to the injury to Jimmy G. Yeah, Ravens uh, the, got the, schooled. The Packers were not because that's why they fired Mike McCarthy. The yep. Ravens were, uh, Ravens lost to the Chargers and your number two seed, like we said, the Chiefs. So one of the eight, that's a great stat. I hadn't broken it down that way, but only one of the eight was in the divisional round last year. That's uh, that's pretty fantastic. Uh, what about you, Dub? I mean, every single one of these games was unbelievable. Even the late game yesterday, the Eagles still had a, a decent shot at winning that game with Josh McCown in there. He played incredible at he the age of 40. He did play incredible. And how I mean, about to that? come you're, off the bench and play like yeah, he did. And your first career playoff game to ever come at age 40, first career you know, uh, pass attempts and all that, but... I was so impressed with the Vikings yesterday going on the road to New Orleans and really dominating that game, running the football with Dalvin Cook against a Saints run defense that has been yeah. pretty incredible all year. So that, would, to me, was my biggest single takeaway from a single game yesterday. Oh, instead of talking about Kirk Cousins, we would be talking about Taysom Hill if the Saints had found a way to win. I mean, he was just incredible in so many different facets of the game. Uh, but for now, Drew Brees, 40 years old, what does he think? Like, And what has happened with Alvin Kamara? I, I just I don't understand. I believe he's in his third year now. He just at times totally disappears. And I thought he basically disappeared in that game yesterday. And I don't understand whether it's his health is not 100%, whether he took too many hits early in his career. Uh, but if you think about how dynamic he was, maybe it's that that not having Mark Ingram alongside of him has uh, has led to an underwhelming relatively performance. But I mean, he was Christian McCaffrey a couple of years ago. He looked like the greatest possible asset to Drew Brees' career. And then he just he's just he's kind of vanished. I mean, he had seven carries for 21 yards in that game yesterday. And I, if I'm a Saints fan, you know, I understand Saints fans are upset about the, the fact that Rudolph didn't get called for a, a, a offensive pass interference there late uh, and all of those things. But usually that call is not made. And I understand I lost, trust me, $28,000 betting on you guys last year uh, in, the, uh, in the, the non-call situation. But the Saints were really kind of dominated for much of that game. 
and they didn't have a lot of business. And what about it? What a throw by Kirk Cousins to hit Adam Thielen like he did. And what a catch by Thielen to basically win that game uh, for the Vikings on the road in the Superdome, one of the toughest venues to go win. And by the way, big takeaway, we almost had all four road teams win. And I'm sorry, Bills fans, to bring it up, but you guys were up 16 to nothing. And if the Bills don't choke in that game, and I think it's fair to say there was an element of choking going on from the Bills. I thought that there were a lot of decisions made by Josh Allen. I mean, when you drop back to pass and you find yourself throwing to a fullback in double coverage down the field, uh, there were a lot of decisions that he was making that I thought were really, I mean, panic to like decisions. Not early. Early when they were in smooth control and everything was going great, I felt like that game swung, not necessarily on the 20-yard touchdown run by Deshaun Watson, although that was a heck of a play. Uh, but I felt like that game swung when they got the first two-point conversion. Because when they got the first two-point conversion, all of a sudden you were like, hey, they're one, you know, they're one score away from tying this thing up. If they don't get that two-point conversion, and that was all Deshaun Watson getting it across the goal line, then it's 16-6, and you still have a two-score lead. And I feel like the Bills could have taken a little bit of a breath there. But instead, it was 16-8, and you just kind of felt like there was uh, th- there was trouble brewing. And I know that they didn't score a touchdown on the next play when they had the fumble. Uh, Josh Allen turned the ball over, and it made it 16-11. to But you kind of feel it coming. And for them to get both two-point conversions was pretty tough for that Bills defense to, to give up like they did. Uh, 16 uh, 19 unanswered after they went up 16 nothing. 16 nothing lead for that Bills defense should be a lot. I mean that that that's like a 28 point lead for most teams. For the Bills to give that up was I thought pretty tough. What about you, uh, Eddie? What was your biggest takeaway? Uh, it's got to be the New Orleans Saints losing once again on the final play of the game for third the year third in year in a row. Two years in a row in overtime, and both of those at home. So, and you could talk about oh push-offs and uh, non-calls on interference and miracles, but uh, in the end, the Saints uh, just blowing huge opportunities uh, in the postseason after tremendous regular seasons, and that's I, I think a big indictment of Sean Payton. It is. Uh, I mean, I, I you got to lay the blame at somebody's feet, and I do think that. And this is this is a bigger topic of discussion. The many of the coaching decisions made down the stretch. I don't understand why you would save your timeout with Drew Brees, who is 40 years old and a consummate veteran, and allow 10 seconds to be run off the clock there. Now, they still kicked a field goal uh, to, uh, to, to be able to, uh, to put that game into overtime. But you had, I thought, a chance to throw it, you know, get about seven or eight more yards and then potentially take a shot in the end zone to go for the win uh, with the way that that situation was setting up, at least see if you can get a matchup that you like, give Drew Brees a chance, given how accurate he can be at times, to go for the win. Instead, they kick it uh, in uh, in overtime, put the game into overtime, and then, you know, unfortunately for the Saints, Drew Brees never gets the ball or gets a chance to come out and uh, and win that game, right? The, the Vikings get the ball, drive right down, score a touchdown, the game's over. Um, and uh, and that's got to be just absolutely brutal. Roberto, your biggest takeaway from the weekend. 
Patriots losing, man. I knew they were they were done this year. With a lot of people who thought that even though they lost to the Dolphins, like, oh no, it's still the Patriots. They're they're never done. Well, the Patriots are done. Were you happy as a group really quickly that the Titans won, or were you like Clay Travis is going to be insufferable? I don't even want to come into work on Monday. No, I was happy. I was thrilled. All of us, the entire show picked the Titans last yep. Monday, remember? Yeah. And for a second, you're like, uh-oh, because sometimes that jinxes the team that we yeah, all picked. Yeah, I'm still walking on air over that win. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. What a weekend of football. Three of the games, you could really change one play, and the outcome would have been totally different. Patriots could have easily won. The Bills could have easily won. The Saints could have easily won. Two of those three games went to overtime. And really, if Carson Wentz doesn't get knocked out of the game, who knows what might have happened in that game against the Seahawks. I still think the Seahawks would have won because I think the Seahawks are the better team than the Eagles. I didn't think it made sense for them to have to go all the way on the, across the country on the road to play against the Eagles. But it would have been a lot more interesting if that Jadavion Clowney hit had not happened and knocked uh, Carson Wentz out of the game. But as a result, there are eight teams left. And the biggest storyline by far, I believe, coming out of wildcard weekend is, what's the future of the New England Patriots? The poll question is up. You guys can go vote in it. Uh, We have Robert Kraft saying, essentially, after 20 years, Brady deserves to go out on his own terms. Even though he's an unrestricted free agent, Robert Kraft hopes that he is going to come back. Uh, 2,000 of you have voted in the first five or six minutes of this poll question that's up. You can go vote. You can find me, as always, on Twitter, at Clay Travis. Will 43-year-old Tom Brady be the Patriots' starting quarterback next year? 57% of you say yes, 43% of you say no. The other big question here, in addition to whether or not Brady is going to be there, is did the Titans end the Bill Belichick and Tom Brady Patriots dynasty? I think the answer is yes. I think the Titans traveled up to Foxborough and ended the Patriot dynasty. Doesn't mean that the Patriots can't make the playoffs again. But to me, a dynasty means a championship caliber team. A dynasty isn't, you know, if the if the Golden State Warriors somehow got hot when Steph Curry comes back and they fought their way in as the eighth seed and then they lost and they never again contended for a championship, a dynasty doesn't continue when you lose in the first round of the playoffs. So the only way the Patriot dynasty could continue from this point forward is if they came back Brady and Belichick and went back to the Super Bowl again. You might not have to win the Super Bowl, but I think you have to get to the Super Bowl to still be considered a dynasty. At a minimum, you'd have to get to the AFC Championship game. And I don't think the Patriots with Brady and Belichick as a tandem are ever going to do that again. I think the Titans went up to Foxborough and put a death knell in this Patriot dynasty. I think it's over. I just, I don't see that Patriot team is fundamentally flawed. I don't see an easy fix for what ails the Patriots. Yes, you could argue, hey, maybe they'll go sign Antonio Brown again. And maybe they're going to go try to find new wide receivers because Brady clearly doesn't trust the wide receivers that he has now. I suppose in the offseason, that could be your attempt to remake this entire offense 
on the fly. But I think what made them as good as they were for as long as they were is gone now. And I think that was the Brady-Belichick mojo. And I believe the Titans went up and took it from them. And it's possible that the Patriots will be back in the postseason, but I don't think they'll ever make a run again. I think if you look at the youth in the AFC in particular, look at the quarterbacks that are out there and how young they are. The uh, the NFC, not as much, honestly, as the AFC, but Lamar Jackson, insanely young. Deshaun Watson, insanely young. Uh, you've got Patrick Mahomes, who I think is going to become the new Brady Manning. I think Patrick Mahomes is going to be the guy that for the next 15 years we talk about as, oh, he's going to be in the playoffs every year and his team's going to have a chance to win a championship every year. They may not do it, may not do it again this year, but they were a man lining up on sides correctly from being in the Super Bowl last year. They're 12-4 and this year. They're the two seed. As long as Mahomes stays healthy, I think he's the guy who's going to have that longevity, that decade-plus run in the AFC. Uh, not to say there's other, there's not other guys who can blip up and challenge him. We'll see if Deshaun Watson and the Texans are able to challenge him. But I just think that Mahomes is on a different level than every other quarterback who's young and in the AFC right now. I understand Lamar Jackson's going to be the MVP. I understand Deshaun Watson. Maybe Ryan Tannehill now is going to have a couple of good years. He was the number one overall passer in the AFC this year. Maybe Josh Allen is going to uh, is going to rise up. There's a lot of, uh, for the first time, it feels like the AFC is kind of wide open, and I feel like to a large extent what's going to happen is Patrick Mahomes is going to sweep into that area and take over in, uh, in as, as the heir apparent to Brady and Manning. But I got a stat for you that is, uh, is going to kind of, kind of blow your mind. Um, and, and I saw it, and I couldn't believe it. How, look at how many years it has been that either Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, or Peyton Manning have been the AFC playoff representative. I think it's 15 of the last 16, something along those lines, 16 of the last 18 years, either Brady, Manning, or Ben Roethlisberger has been the representative in the Super Bowl for the AFC. And Ben Roethlisberger, I know, is coming back. It's hard for me to believe that he's going to come back at an incredibly high level. Brady may well come back at the age of 43, whether it's with the Patriots or not. But I think what we've seen happen this year is a generational change in the AFC. Manning's been gone for a couple of years now. It feels like Brady's kind of shuffling off uh, into his final couple of years where he's not going to be the same relevant figure that he was before. And I find it hard to believe that Ben Roethlisberger is going to come back. So that leaves the AFC wide open, right? I think Patrick Mahomes is going to claim the AFC as his conference. But Lamar Jackson, we'll see how much staying power he has. Unquestionably phenomenal year. I just, I'm not a believer in the long run uh, range future of running quarterbacks. I understand people want to say, oh, he's going to be the next great. I'd, I would buy stock in Patrick Mahomes a billion times in a row more than I would buy stock in Lamar Jackson right now uh, because I think that the way Patrick Mahomes plays is more likely to lead to longevity. But I don't think there's any doubt that the AFC is wide open. And, uh, and so that's, I think, the big question coming out of Wild Card Weekend is, 
are the Patriots done as a dynasty? Uh, let me bring in the crew. I'm curious whether you guys think that they are. I do. I, I told you coming in, I've been wrong about the Patriots before, but I was right about this game. I said the Titans are going to go on the road. They are going to beat the Patriots. They are going to end their dynasty. I think the Patriots can be a good team, but in order to kind of maintain that dynasty, I think you need to have an AFC championship caliber team, which means you have to win at least one game in the postseason if you get a bye, at least two if you're a wild card. And I don't think the Patriots are that team anymore. I really don't. I think that the that there is now blood in the water. Uh, I, I think that the AFC East is going to be competitive with the Patriots next year, even if Brady comes back. The Bills are on the upswing. Believe it or not, I think the Jets are on the upswing, assuming they can keep their quarterback from getting mono. Uh, I think if you look down the stretch at what the Dolphins did under Brian Flores, they went five and four in the final uh, nine games they played. That's better than the Patriots did, by the way, in the final nine games that the Patriots played. Patriots went four and five uh, down the stretch with back-to-back home losses at Foxborough. Uh, I think that uh, the Patriots' reign is over. I think the Brady-Belichick dynasty is done. Doesn't mean that I think the Belichick can't win another title another Super Bowl in New England. I think he desperately wants to prove he's a better coach than just happened to have Tom Brady. I think there's an element of Brady that would like to prove he's incredibly good without Bill Belichick too. I feel like both of these guys may be a little bit tired of each other, which makes some sense after nearly 20 years together uh, in in New England. Uh, But I find it hard to believe uh, that, uh, that they are going to be Super Bowl caliber contenders in New England together again. Do you believe that the Titans killed the Patriot dynasty, Danny G? Yeah, it sure feels that way. Even when Steph Curry comes back, no one's scared of Golden State anymore, and that's what it feels like, the NFL's version of the Warriors, which is the Patriots. Yeah, I think the difference is the Warriors, at least you can sketch out next year if they get a high draft pick and or they make some moves. I mean, they'll be back in the postseason and they can still be good for the right, next right. several years. Right, right. But the years. intimidation factor. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can make you a strong argument that the AFC East could rise up next year and the Patriots could just be an 8-8 eight and eight caliber team. I mean, if you look at the way they finished this year, going 4-5 and five down the stretch, I can make you an argument that they are not going to win the AFC East next year, even with Brady. And I don't think it's a crazy argument. And that even if they do, they're another wild card t- caliber team as opposed to one of the best teams in the conference. I think they are trending down in a big way, and I think the Titans killed the dynasty. Dub, do you think the Titans killed the dynasty? Well, I think they killed it as we know it with Brady and Belichick. I'll be very curious to see this offseason because you read Robert Kraft's quotes earlier in the show about how he wants Tom Brady to be a Patriot, and if he's not a Patriot, he wants him to retire. Uh, because I think Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick probably have differentiating opinions on this. Because yeah, I think I if think it was right. solely up to Bill Belichick, I believe the Patriots would move on from Tom Brady next year and start the reboot with a new quarterback at the head of the front. So that's to me, is the biggest question. The kind of decision-making process between Bill Belichick, Robert Kraft, and also Tom Brady this offseason. Because like I said, if it's up to Bill Belichick, I think he's ready to move on. Yeah, I mean, let me put it to you this way. Tua is announcing at noon today his decision on whether or not to go pro. Let's say that Tua says he's going to go pro. 
do you think Bill Belichick would rather package together a bunch of his assets, which he rarely does, but go ahead and draft, let's say, let's say he loves Justin Herbert, or let's say he loves Tua, or maybe he loves Jake Fromm. Do you think Bill Belichick would rather go in and go ahead and start the rebuild without Brady, go get a brand new quarterback, or if you're going to bring back Brady, then the way you draft is different, I think, because you go into the draft saying, okay, we feel like we're a, uh, you know, a team trying to contend for a championship, and so you may go get a guy that uh, that you wouldn't otherwise draft if you feel like, okay, next two or three years, we're in the process of building our way back up as opposed to trying to win right now. Um, Nikhil Harry, by the way, first-round pick, I think that's a Patriot pick that's made because they think Brady has another year. Now, they got the wrong guy. Turns out if they had taken DK Metcalf or A.J. Brown, for instance, instead of Nikhil Harry, they might well have ended up in... Uh, advancing in the playoffs because you saw what DK Metcalf did with the Seattle. You saw what AJ Brown did this year with uh, with the Titans, even though he didn't do much in that in the postseason game. Uh, instead, I think the Patriots swung for a receiver because they knew they needed to really make a play there. Uh, so uh, this, to me, becomes a good question. And I think you're right, Dub. I think there could be a difference of opinion between Robert Kraft, who doesn't want to be seen as running off Brady and Belichick. Now, you could also say. The Patriots potentially are playing a little bit of chess here because if Robert Kraft comes out and says, I want Brady back, what does I want Brady back mean? Does it mean on a one-year deal for $25 million? Does it mean on a two-year deal? And does that then put the onus on Brady where the Patriots feel like now they've extended the olive branch and said, we want him back, but maybe they won't pursue him that aggressively and Brady may uh, make the decision to leave like Joe Montana, when he ends up playing with the Kansas City Chiefs, it doesn't feel right, but Brady may not feel the love and may want to move on because he's going to have to sit down with Bill Belichick. How aggressive is Belichick going to be in trying to persuade him to stay? It's a good question, too. What do you think, Eddie? Did the Titans kill the Patriot dynasty? I would certainly tend to believe so. I mean, this is an aging team. There's so many question marks, especially obviously at quarterback and what is Bill Belichick's status honestly I mean his contract has always been clouded in secrecy we don't know what kind of outs he has if Robert Kraft decides he's going to go against Belichick and bring back Brady does Belichick decide he's going to go somewhere else I mean there's so many interesting and intriguing possibilities with the future of this Patriots team uh, that are going to be decided this offseason but yeah I mean again they seem to be an aging team at key positions, uh, unless they do something really dramatic to upgrade. I, I I just don't see this team getting back to the Super Bowl anytime soon. And here's the other question I think that's, that's interesting for Brady. Is there a Peyton Manning-like future for him? Now, Manning was younger, obviously, when he decided to go to Denver. But when Manning walked away from the Colts, a lot of you out there listening right now were of the opinion, I can never imagine Peyton Manning playing in any other uniform other than the Colts. And then he went to Denver and had a, what was it, four years? Wildly successful, I think it was four years, wildly successful four years. Two trips to the Super Bowl, uh, a tough loss when maybe they were the best team uh, because his safety couldn't knock down the ball against uh, against the uh, uh, the Ravens, and then close it out with a Super Bowl. 
that was as good of a final four years. Now, I don't think that Brady's got four years left, but does he have two on the outside edge? Could he have three? Could he go somewhere else and win another Super Bowl? If he could elsewhere, it would go a long way. I think most people are going to say he's the greatest of all time no matter what, but if he won a Super Bowl without Belichick, I think people would be even more impressed by what Brady would accomplish, and it would then sort of militate in favor of maybe Brady was the more indistinguishable of the Brady-Belichick duo. Same thing, by the way, for Belichick. I think Belichick desperately wants to win a Super Bowl without Brady to prove to everybody that he is the reason why the Patriots were as good as they were. The reality is they were the combined the reason why the Patriots were as good as they were. But I definitely think that egos have factored in here uh, in, uh, in, in many ways. And I think that Belichick is less of an uh, emotional guy than Robert Kraft is. So does Robert Kraft have to manage this relationship between the two of them? This is Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. John McClain joins us now at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. John, thanks for getting up early with us. You covered the NFL for a long time. You've covered a lot of big games for Brady and Belichick over the years. Did the Titans end the dynasty, in your opinion, on Saturday night? Clay, they might have ended the dynasty, but I do not believe they ended Tom Brady's career in New England. I think he'll re-sign with the Patriots after he sees what options are out there. Titans played a great defensive game, and of course Derrick Henry did something that other star players have been unable to do in Foxborough. Usually Bill Belichick and his staff take out one player and make sure that one player does not beat them, and they knew that was going to happen with Henry, and they were helpless to stop it. Incredible performance, but a guy's in the last year of his contract about to make a lot of money. Uh, speaking of making a lot of money, Deshaun Watson's going to eventually make a lot of money. And I want to, just from your perspective, how much did the storyline in Houston change in the final 20 minutes of that game? Let's start with, what if the Bills had come in and won like it looked like they were going to win, in the same way that the Colts did last season, without really the Texans ever being able to muster much of a run against them? What would conversation in Houston be this morning? They were down 13-0 at halftime, 16-0 in the third quarter, and people were angry. People were going to the exits. And I'll guarantee you this, Bill O'Brien would not have been fired, but there would have been a lot of people, fans, wanted him fired, media demanding him be fired because it would have been another ugly end. That would have been three wild-card losses at home, all decisive. And then, of course, Watson started their comeback for the ages. Uh, and that comeback for the ages now takes the Texans on the road against the Chiefs. How confident do you think the Texans are to win there, given that they've already won there once? They played a good game up there, and they won. They fell behind 17-3. to Watson brought them from behind to win that game. Mahomes threw three touchdown passes, two to Tyreek Hill. And the Texans played their best road game of the season. They had gone to Baltimore and gotten beat 41-7. to So if you have a chance to go where you won or go where you got crushed, you'd think it would be where you won. But what are the odds Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are going to lose two games at home to Houston in one season? On the other hand, what are the odds Kirk Cousins is going to go to <laughs> New Orleans and win in the Superdome? Yeah, I mean, it was. we came close to all four road teams winning. You've covered the NFL for a long time. Is home field advantage the most overrated thing at this point in time in the it, NFL playoffs? Clay, it seems to be the visiting teams, for whatever reason, and I 
covered the NFL for 43 years, and I've never seen anything like what it's become, especially in the playoffs, especially with all of these games being so exciting, even the last one with Josh McCown replacing the injured Carson Wentz was still exciting, but it I've never seen anything like it. Don't know why it is, but you're exactly right. Visiting teams went on the road so much more than they used to. So you said you don't think it's the uh, the end of Brady and Belichick. We had quotes come out from Robert Kraft through Peter King saying basically that Brady's uh, earned the right after 20 years to go out and the way that he sees uh, fit. What do you think Belichick wants? Considering, I don't know what, first of all, we don't know what he thinks about his backup, Jared Stidham. Yeah. Does he think about Jared Stidham the way he thought about Brady when he was a backup to Drew Bledsoe? And, of course, Bledsoe got hurt. Or the, the way he thought about Garoppolo when it seemed pretty clear that, that, that Belichick really didn't want to let him go and then kind of did it out of spite. And and if we've never known the true story behind that to give Garoppolo up for a second-round pick. And at this point, he would already have left as a free agent because there's no way he was going to stay there when he had a chance to be a starter somewhere else. But I think I, th- I would imagine if you're Bill Belichick and you want to win, you want to win with Brady. What happened there was not Brady's fault. They didn't replace Gronkowski. They didn't have receivers who were good. They tried with Josh Gordon, tried with Antonio Brown. That showed you how desperate they were. But the big loss, he did not have Gronkowski, and his offensive line had injuries. It wasn't as good. The problem wasn't Brady. The problem was the personnel. All right, so you, uh, there are eight teams left, and, and everybody, I lost one of my uh, Super Bowl teams. I had the Saints. I thought the Saints would bounce back after last season, not certainly lose to the Vikings. Uh, but the eight teams that remain right now, who do you think are the two best? Who do you think right now will be there from the NFC and the AFC? No way I would pick against Baltimore, not what we've seen from Lamar Jackson and the Ravens all season on both sides of the ball and special teams. They have been fantastic. I think it's going to be the Ravens and the Chiefs, Jackson versus Mahomes. And then the NFC, I like Kyle Shanahan. It's it's amazing to me half the coaches left in the playoffs have Texans ties. Kyle Shanahan was here. Matt LaFleur was here. Bill O'Brien, of course. And then uh, – Mike Vrabel, and there's a lot of Texans people. San Francisco, I like Shanahan. They they had the toughest schedule, and they still got home field advantage. Don't know what that means where they play in Santa Clara, but I still think it'll be the 49ers. So if if you break it down and you kind of look ahead, um, we've had so many years of Brady Belichick. I mean Brady and Belichick certainly, but Peyton Manning and also with Ben Roethlisberger. Does it feel to you like it does to me, like the next man up is Patrick Mahomes? Absolutely, Mahomes or Lamar Jackson. What Jackson has done this year, 36 touchdowns, six interceptions, seven rushing touchdowns, has been incredible in his second year, just like Mahomes was incredible in his second year. The quarterback position is in good hands as the guys like Brady and Breeze and Rivers and Manning, as they get to the near the end of their careers, there's so many good young quarterbacks and more are coming. And I think it's Jackson versus Mahomes. Those two are at the top of what is a talented list of young quarterbacks. I know you uh, are an illustrious alum of Baylor University. You guys got a heck of a coach in Matt Rule. Do you think he leaves for the NFL? 
I do. I've thought that since he interviewed for the the he was interviewed by Chris Ballard, one of the best general managers, after Baylor won one game, and then last year when he won seven. He was interviewed by the Jets, and he could have had the job, but he wanted to take his coaches. And now he's being interviewed by the by the Panthers and the Giants. He turned down a chance to interview for the Browns. So if you want to interview that much, it means you want to coach in the NFL. Since he was with the Giants, he grew up in New York City before moving to Pennsylvania, uh, and he knows the franchise. I'm thinking he's going to the Giants, and Baylor fans should wish him well because he's leaving that job in a whole lot better shape than he found it, Clay. That is a fact. No doubt at all. Uh, what are the Cowboys going to do? I think uh, I thought for a while they were waiting to see if Mike Zimmer lost and got fired because they love the Joneses love Mike Zimmer and he has a close relationship with them. And then Mike McCarthy'd been in Marvin Lewis. They'd interviewed him as well, so it's pretty obvious Jerry Jones wants an NFL coach, not a college coach. He could have already interviewed Urban Meyer, Lincoln Riley, any of those guys who were supposedly candidates in the media. And it's always amazing to me. Mike McCarthy, Mike has a great record. He won a Super Bowl. His record's like Sean Payton's, and yet people view them in a different light as a head coach. If I'm the Cowboys, I am all over McCarthy after coaching Favre. He coached he coached Aaron Rodgers, and I think that Mike would be an excellent coach, but you never know what the Cowboys are going to do. We're talking to John McClain at McClain on underscore on underscore NFL. You can find him there. I'll tweet out the link uh, to his Twitter handle later today when I put up the podcast. Appreciate him joining us from down in Houston. What would you tell Tua to do, John? When you've had as many injuries as he's had, and while you're in college and they're all your your hip and your ankles, I think if they can tell NFL people that he's definitely going to heal from this hip surgery, I would come out. I would not risk another injury. And coming out now means he probably is not going to draft, be drafted as high as he was. And the lower he goes, better chance he got to go with a good team with a winning record. Who knows? Maybe Bill Belichick will get him. Yeah, no telling at all. Uh, did you watch the Golden Globes last night? I did watch the Golden Globes. What did you think of Ricky Gervais's Open? I thought uh, I wish so much of it hadn't been bleeped out. If, you know, I'm not a lip reader. <laughs> Got an idea about what he did. He was not as funny as he had been. Some of his jokes, which are written for him, just were they were deader than a door doorbell. And I and so, but I still like him doing it. And he's always threatening to make it his last, but I hope he comes back. Uh, what movies and or show? You're, you're plugged in with, uh, with making sure that you don't miss anything. Uh, I haven't seen 1917, which won the Golden Globe, and I've heard is unbelievable. Have you seen it yet? I have not seen it. My movie that I would recommend to everybody got a lot of attention, Knives Out. Yeah. I think it's an old-fashioned movie in which all the actors are great, especially Daniel Craig. They're working on a sequel to it with his character, and uh, I can't wait to see 1917. Parasite, which is really good. You know, if you don't mind subtitles, which I don't, there are a lot of good foreign movies led by Parasite. Uh, we're talking to John McClain. Uh, we're breaking down uh, the Golden Globes and the Wild Card Weekend in the NFL what happens with uh, ultimately officiating in the NFL? It's, it feels, and I know part of it's just that we got HD and we got social media and everybody can dissect everything, but at your game, 
you know, the crackback block that got called that may have taken away the Bills from a chance to potentially win the game with a really long field goal. I think there's probably a good chance that with Steven Hoshka they would have been uh, trying that. Uh, you had the the potential, you know, Saints fans are up in arms over the Kyle Rudolph catch uh, and uh, the hit that Jadavion Clowney put on Carson Wentz that knocked him out of the game. Those are just three, but they're all three pretty big that certainly – if you're doing sports talk radio in Buffalo, if you're doing sports talk radio in uh, in uh, in any of these communities in New Orleans or in um, in Philadelphia, that's what you're leading with probably to a large extent is those calls and how they impacted the game. What does the NFL do about this? I believe they will do what the coaches wanted unanimously last year. They want an eye in the sky, somebody in the press box looking at a big high definition flat screen TV seeing exactly what we were we see the plan yeah. would be this is the way the coaches wanted it and the owners said no the coach the guy would see it he'd see what we see he'd see Jadevian Clowney's helmet to helmet hit he would see the push off by Kyle Rudolph he would see the crackback blocker clock expiring in the Buffalo yeah, right. against Houston. Yeah. And so he would immediately call down to the referee and say, pick up the flag, throw the flag. He could be an extra official like he's on the field, but he would be upstairs. That would correct, seemingly correct, a lot of calls and non-calls. What do you think about that uh, play clock expiring right before the third and 18? Uh, I tweeted about that, and it obviously got a lot of attention in general. Um, you know, the, the, the response a lot of times, and I'm sure this is what they said, although I haven't even read the answer, is, well, the official may not see it because, you know, if it's close to zero, we tend to give the benefit of the doubt there. What should happen in plays like those? We've seen that before. There should be a, a die in the sky. You should be yeah. watching that. That's why the, it was unanimous for the coaches to do this, and I think this year the owners will listen to the coaches, and when they go to the league meetings in March, they may pass it then or they may table it till May, but it's a pretty simple deal. you got another official. Hire back some of the guys that retired. Seven of them, I believe, retired at once. Put them up there where they don't have to run up and down the field and let them see what we see immediately. Do you get the sense that there is this uh, this belief among many, not just in the fan base that are listening to us right now, but also people affiliated with the league and the teams, that officiating is in a crisis moment? Yes, it is in a crisis moment. It's not going to change because of you mentioned earlier what we have at our fingertips to see where we can see everything in super slow motion, high definition, when they have to make those fills, bang, bang. They make those calls on the field like that. It's almost impossible to get everything right. A couple guys say, well, just get rid of replay and let human humans make those calls, but you can't do it. you got electronics. Think of all the calls that are changed correctly. And if you took those away, then it would be just mass controversy. But I think more changes are coming. John McClain, last question for you. What would have happened if they hadn't changed the halftime, right? The first opening kickoff, I'm sure you were watching it like, oh, my God, what are they arguing? I mean, they called a touchdown uh, for a guy flipping the ball to the official. Uh, The NFL, to their credit, ran out and basically said, man, what in the world are you thinking here? We can't make it 23-0 in that scenario. I mean, that was kind of a wild situation that that kind of disappeared because uh, they fixed it. Never seen anything like that. DeAndre Carter, you know, they changed the rule. 
they said he gave himself up, and so he did give himself up, and they changed it. But uh, it was amazing. There were quite a few things like that in the Buffalo-Houston game. And I would imagine with a divisional round coming up and what could be four more exciting games, we will have much more controversy. Amen. Appreciate it, brother. Thanks for getting up. Thank you very much, Clay, as always. Thanks for the movie tips, as always. He's outstanding. He's John McClain at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Every Day Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Every Day Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.